Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, as we continue our post-draft week recapping the Packers 2018 draft, remember one of the shows we did before the draft where I sort of fired a bunch of questions at you and we both gave our answers and we kind of rattled through the yeah. show? Well, our producer, Marvin, he thought that was one of our best shows that oh, we'd ever done. There you go. So I thought, <laughs> why not do a show like that in the post-draft world? So I've got my list of questions here. Okay. I'm going to throw them at you. You give your answer. I'll give my answer. We'll see how many we get through here in the next 22 or so minutes. Right off the bat, which of these 11 draft picks for the Green Bay Packers do you believe will have the biggest impact in 2018? Back on the hot seat over here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jari Alexander, I think, is the easy answer to this one, Mike. Okay. Just because I think with his skill set, uh, being able to play outside, being able to play inside, there's just a more direct path for him getting onto the field. If you're a boundary-type corner, we even saw it to some extent with Kevin King last year, it's more difficult to be able to get that spot right off the bat because of just you know the amount of competition. And a lot of times it takes a more veteran player to excel out there. You saw Casey Hayward excel in the slot as a young player before Demarius Randall handled that position. Micah Hyde in 2013 yeah. when Casey Hayward got hurt ended up manning that position quite a bit. So I think there's probably more of a direct outlet for Alexander to make a day one contribution. But, but even still... As we've talked about a million times, cornerback's a position that takes time to learn and develop. You can play off your instincts, you can play off your natural athleticism, but you need to pair that with technique and knowledge of the defense. So that'll be his number one hurdle when he comes to Green Bay, when he you know, gets involved in this Mike Pettin defense. But I just think, given where he was taken, the amount of ability that he has... I think he's probably the surest bet to be able to to make a contribution right off the bat. Yeah, that's a good call. And I like what you said, too, about the difference between slot corner and boundary corner for young guys, especially in the sense that a lot of times defensive coordinators can be a little hesitant to put a rookie matched up against a number one yeah. receiver type out there on the boundary. That's sort of a, a job, an assignment that you that you work your way up to. So we'll see how that evolves. My answer to this question comes with a bit of a caveat, and the caveat is if he wins the job, which is a little bit of a cop-out. But my answer is J.K. Scott. I yeah. think he could have a really sure. big impact on this, on this team if he indeed beats out Justin Vogel for the punting job. And I'm not saying he's going to. And with the rookie season Justin Vogel had and all the promise that he has shown, I think this is going to be quite a competition. And Justin Vogel is certainly not going to give up his job without a heck of a fight. But you look at the pedigree of J.K. Scott in college at Alabama, all the big games, the bright spotlight type of games that he punted in and how he performed and how he evolved from his freshman year as a punter through his senior year with improving the hang time and bringing the gross average and the net average closer together by you know limiting if not eliminating most yeah. returns I think he's a, I think he's a rookie to watch on this team again if he wins the job yeah and the thing that really stands out to me about him more than any other character is just the fact that he is so darn big and for the you know we've heard it a million times those long levered type punters how much more leverage you're able to put onto a football, the things that you're able to do, the way you can harness that. Uh, he he checks all those boxes across the board. And he also seems to line up perfectly with what the Packers have been looking for with their punters, guys that can put the ball on the sideline, they get the proper hang time, they get the proper distance, uh, 
punting in Green Bay, Wisconsin is a lot different than it was in Alabama. The yeah, the thing. cold the cold weather is going to be is yeah. going to potentially be an issue. Vogel handled it okay exactly. coming from Miami. Yeah, so. so Vogel had experience last year too and did just fine in the month of December. But uh, for both of those guys, I will say this. I challenge you, Mike, to go back and find me a better co- a punting competition that the Packers have had in the last 25 years. Yeah, I mean, wow. yeah. Craig Hendrick manned that spot for a few years. Obviously, Josh Bidwell was there. Um, you know, I guess you could kind of talk. It's it doesn't the, the doesn't match up though. Even if you look at the years where you had Derek Frost and you know and Sean or uh, John, John Ryan, Ryan, Jeremy Capanos was in that mix. And this is as far as Tim like Maste, one versus yeah. one. I think this is going to probably be one of the yeah. best uh, summers to watch for that position. Yeah. All right. Question number two: Which of these draft picks is the biggest unknown in terms of perhaps what his upside might be? Oh, that's a great question, Michael. I think I'm going to probably have to say Oren Burks, uh, just because he really hasn't been in just one spot for more than one season. <laughs> uh, he came to Vanderbilt, and he was a defensive back, and he played that for two years, and then he became a hybrid safety, and then he became a full-fledged inside backer. He seems and sounds like he's going to be able to carry 235 pounds naturally. Yeah. Like yeah. It's not going to be a stretch to put that much weight on his body. To give you an example in terms of a comparison, Jack Sitchi from Wisconsin weighs 238 and was considered, other than the injuries, one of the best pure inside linebackers in this draft class. So he is going to be able to check the box from the size the size component of it. It's just going to be a question of, you know, where his speed is at because you're no longer in that 220 range. But yeah. I just think when you put his numbers on the board, how he tested and the role that he filled at Vanderbilt, it just seems like he's tailor-made for that hybrid position now in the NFL with the way that things have sort of steered themselves. Yeah, and my answer to this one is the South Florida wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I say that because of a couple of numbers, 6'4", and four three seven, yeah. and I've said it in our insider inbox. I'm really curious what this is going to look like. I know a couple years ago, the Packers drafted Trevor Davis, speedy wide receiver from Cal. The thought was he would maybe develop into one of these guys that could take the top off the defense. That hasn't happened yet. Not to say that it couldn't happen in year three as Trevor continues to develop. But this is a this is a size and speed prospect that's uh, that's really intriguing. And uh, and again, I just I think there's a lot of unknown with the upside here. Packers fans get all excited about Jeff Janis and, you know, Valdez Scantling has a faster 40 and he's taller. So a lot to work with there. All right. With that, we're going to go to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair. Wes Hodkowitz in that one. The hot seat again. Yeah. There, Wes. Some more questions coming <laughs> your way. Okay. Best value pick out of this 2018 draft for the Packers? Josh Jackson has to be. I mean, this is a guy that had a lot of first-round grades by you know a number of teams. Uh, he ends up falling to the middle of the second round. I don't know exactly what's going through Brian Gutekunst's mind at that point. Um, I have to imagine they were pretty geeked about it, though. The fact that... You know, as as I talked about, Mike, when you and I were in Indianapolis, I think a lot of people at that point in time thought he was the number two cornerback on the board. Pushing, as far as a pure corner. Pure yeah. corner, yeah. pushing Denzel Ward for that spot. Yeah. Alexander ends up testing through the roof. Some other things fall into line. But he has great size. Uh, you love his competitiveness, and you love the production. 
again, I, I just I really wonder if he could have if that forty would have been under sub five or in the more around that five mark, you know, four point five. You know whether or not he probably is a first round pick, but uh, he had the one big year at Iowa. But I think that gives you a lot to work with. And as we've talked about earlier this week, he's a, he's an unfinished product, and now he gets to work with Joe Witt. I think that's an exciting combo. Yeah, I think Josh Jackson is definitely a value pick, being there at forty five in the second round. There's also an argument to be made that the first round pick Jair, uh, Jair excuse me, yeah. Alexander is a great value pick because essentially you traded a third round pick and got a first rounder next year and got Alexander. So, um, but I'll also say as far as a, a value pick in this draft, uh, Equinemius St. Brown from Notre Dame at the end of the sixth round, a compensatory sixth round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I say value pick because most analysts across the board said this, this guy was projected as a third or fourth rounder, um, had a lot of success at Notre Dame when he had a legitimate NFL caliber quarterback there in, in Deshaun Kaiser. And as I said on the show the other day, I think this is, I think, I think the, the way he fell in the draft to the late sixth round makes him a very, very motivated player. And it's a question of whether he, he channels that motivation in the right way um, to, uh, um, to start his NFL career. Probably going to have to wait probably 10 or 15 years to get an honest answer from Brian Gutekunst on this. But I do wonder, you know, he said uh, EQ St. Brown said he was told by the draft advisory committee he had a fourth round grade. I'm curious to see what grade the Packers had on him. Yeah. Uh, I got to imagine they had him higher than the sixth round based on, you know, one of the things I was working on this week for Packers.com. You know, Goodikin said, really, he went into that last day. It wasn't like he just wanted to draft through receivers. Yeah. But every time they came on the board in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, the receivers were the best value options for them, and he thought that that was a way to really improve the team. And I think St. Brown going to be really motivated to show that he should have been higher in this draft. Yeah. All right. Most surprising pick of this draft for the Packers, in your opinion? Oh, Mike, that's a tough one. Most surprising pick. I guess if you're going to tell me uh, what, what the biggest surprise was overall, I have to say Scott. Uh, just from the standpoint of I did not envision the Packers drafting a punter. To be honest with you, I knew nothing about the punters in this class. And yeah. I remember talking to a couple of the beat writers in the auditorium uh, on on Saturday night. Really, not very many did because I don't think we thought of it as a position of need. I thought you know, a lot of people were comfortable, myself included, with Vogel. So I didn't do much research into these punters. But once you start to look up his bio and you go on NFL.com and look up his draft page and see that I think they had a third or fourth round grade on the kid. Yeah, um, They did get good value for him. And, the, and I want to stop one thing right here because I saw some things on Twitter about, well, B.J. Sander, 2004. Brian Gutekunst didn't trade up into the third round to take J.K. Scott. He got yeah. him in the fifth round at his pick. You know, And in a round, the Packers had three picks in three to picks. use. Yeah. So yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't get that argument at all. I think this kid's a, a lot of talent there. And, and the fact that he, a third-round pick, that's a different ball game. Yeah. Fifth round pick, I think uh, you know the, the board starts to open itself up a little bit more. Yeah, and for me, the most surprising pick was the other specialist, Hunter Bradley from Mississippi State. And I, even though I know you predicted it, I did. I still did not. I just <laughs> did not think the Packers would draft a long snapper. I just I figured you know you you grab one of those guys in in the undrafted route, you know, right after the draft concludes. But lo and behold, they used a seventh round pick on a long snapper and made a little history. Marvin, the production booth, is going to get mad at me here because he's probably going to be telling me to throw a break. But I just want to make this point about Bradley. The reason I was not surprised is because you look at the past history when Packers have had injury problems at positions or uncertainty at positions, running back, 
offensive line, receiver. They address it in the draft. They yeah. make sure that that doesn't happen again. Safety being another one of them. Sure. After what they went through last year, three or four different long snappers throughout yeah. the course of the year. It was a carousel. You know what? I think there's something to be said in the seventh round for taking the best available long snapper at that spot. And also keep in mind, I think the draft value chart, seventh round picks at that point are worth one point. Yeah. One point overtaking the guy trying to sign him as a priority. Yeah, having agent. to compete for him, compete yes. for him potentially with other teams. Go for yeah. it. All right. With that, we are going to go to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here. Wes Hodkowitz over there. Okay, Wes, we just answered the question last segment about most surprising picks. So the next question is most surprising non-pick. What was the biggest surprise to you in terms of what the Packers did not do in this draft? You know what? I'm going to say tight end. I think pass rusher obviously can make that argument, but they did eventually address it in the seventh round. Tight end, and for the reason you and I discussed earlier this week, that's a position that takes time to develop. I don't care if you're a first-round pick or you're a seventh-round pick. It is going to be very difficult for you at that position to go into the NFL and just become a Pro Bowl-type player. You need time, and there's only so many Ron Gronkowskis out there. So I thought it made a lot of sense with having eight picks on the third day that they would go and find one. They didn't do that. I think that is somewhat a reflection of the changing time in the NFL. We're seeing more three and four wide receiver approaches. Jimmy Graham, in some ways, could be considered a receiver. I know that's been a debate that's been had over the years. So in one way, it makes sense. And in the other way, though, uh, I I just think that this was a, a draft that it was relatively deep. At that tight end position, there were a lot of intriguing guys. You talked about several of them in the pre-draft process. I thought this would have potentially been a year to go find one of those guys. Yeah, I agree with you. Tight end was uh, was a surprising non-pick to me, and I will uh, I will also say pass rusher is the one that sticks out to me. And nothing against Kendall Donerson being taken from Southeast Missouri State in the seventh round, but I thought the Packers would use a much earlier pick on a pass rusher. And I guess where where I got surprised the most is that. When Brian Gutekunst decided to trade that top pick in the fourth round on Friday night to get back into the third round to take a player, I thought, okay, here's where he's targeted a pass rusher, yeah. and this is where he's going to take him. And he, and he take it, took uh, Burks, the inside linebacker, instead. So to me, that was the surprising non-pick that a, that a pass rusher was not taken earlier, as we talked about. But a larger overarching question, Wes, what is the most important thing that the Green Bay Packers accomplished with this draft when you look at it from a big-picture perspective? We've asked a lot of questions this week, Mike. We've talked about a lot of different topics. You know the one thing that has not come up? What are the Packers going to do at cornerback? Uh, that, that question has been answered. Uh, it's up to the players in that room now to play this thing out. But the one thing, Mike, I don't think you're going to be able to say going into 2018, going into it, the season plays out how it plays out, but I don't think you can say, I don't think Mike Pettin could say he doesn't have enough options at cornerback. You have Alexander and Jackson, two guys that very easily could have both been first-round picks. You brought back Tremont Williams, a guy that gives you versatility throughout the secondary. Devon House is back, and you have a litany of other defensive backs that you returned from last season. 
I think to me, the fact that they did address that, even though there are some lingering questions about the pass rush, but they have prospects now in that pipeline at cornerback. And considering how deep they had to go into those reserves last year, I have to imagine that Joe Witt and company are very happy about that. Yeah, and if I were to say the next most important thing that the Packers accomplished in this draft, I think it's what they did at wide receiver. And it's for a lot of reasons. We saw the benefit of taking the three running backs on the third day of the draft last year and what that meant when injuries hit and you're finding out what you've got in these young guys. The Packers are going to have an opportunity to figure out what they have with these young receivers that they took. Do you have potentially another Devontae Adams, you know, moving up the pipeline here with one of these guys? Will it help you make a decision on Randall Cobb, who's in the last year of his contract? There are a lot of things here. And maybe if things don't work out with the approach that you took this year, then it tells you we need to address wide receiver earlier in the draft. We need to get more of a top prospect to find the next Devontae Adams to to pair with him long term potentially as a as a big body boundary receiver. So I think what they did at wide receiver was very, very important. And I did a little bit of a dive this week, Mike, looking into the history of that when the Packers overdraft at receiver. And actually the returns have been pretty good. You're not going to hit on all three guys. That's no, yeah, the you're basic not going thing. to. But they did it in 2014, they got Devontae Adams. They did it in 1992, they got Robert Brooks. They did it in 1994, and Bill Schrader came out of that. So when you go and address a position like that, sometimes you could really hit it big and maybe find a lot of playmakers, but I think the one thing it does is it guarantees that at least somebody's going to rise out of that and become a contributor for yeah. you. All right, with that, we're going to go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford joined by Wes Hodkowitz. Okay, Wes, final segment here before we go. The final question I'm going to throw at you. The best non-Packers moment of the 2018 NFL draft. I mean, it has to be Sakeem Griffin uh, from Seattle. Not only does he get drafted, and we remember talking at the Combine about what emotional, how emotional that was going to be for him, but he gets picked by the Seattle Seahawks, so he gets to go play with his twin brother yeah, now. great uh, story. A really cool side note to that, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who the Packers drafted the fifth round, was high school teammates with the two brothers as well. Uh, back at Lakewood High School in St. Petersburg. So a little bit of a Packer tie into that. But uh, the fact that that Griffin is able to get drafted uh, after testing the way he did, I think it was a foregone conclusion that was going to happen. But then John Schneider ends up calling in his number, and, and now he'll be able to be teammates with his brother. That's pretty special. Yeah, it is pretty special, and uh, and there be a lot of pe- there are a lot of people in the country rooting for Griffin, no matter which team yeah. would have drafted him. A lot of people rooting for him. A lot of people are going to be watching to see just uh, just what sort of career develops here with uh, w- with really a, an amazing athletic story. And I want to see what kind of player he can become too, because he's going to have to make a transition. He was an edge rusher, kind of at at uh, UCF. He's yeah. not going to be able to do that in the NFL. He's just not big enough. So he's going to have to be a hybrid type inside linebacker player. A lot to work with, but he's going to have to adjust his game a little bit too. Yeah. Well, I will say as much as I loved uh, Jerry Kramer's jab at the uh, <laughs> at the Dallas fans there with regards to the ice bowl, the question is the best non-Packers moment of the draft. Um, watching uh, Ryan Shazier get yeah. up there on the Very stage cool. and announce a, uh, announce a pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Really good to see, obviously, what happened to him. Um, Very sad and tragic. Fortunately, um, it looks like maybe not as tragic uh, uh, long-term 
as uh, as it looked on the field when it happened. So uh, um, just really a very heartwarming heartwarming moment, I thought. In yeah, and to be able to have that tie in with the Steelers and announcing you know their first round pick, uh, obviously the emotions that go into that, and there was so much going on uh, for the Packers at that time because they were trading and moving around, and we were trying to write stories and whatnot. But <laughs> yeah, I did able to, did get a chance to watch it a little bit, and then obviously after the fact and. Uh, definitely an emotional moment after such a scary incident last year. Um, the other thing I want to just touch on, too, uh, just the unpredictability of this draft was probably one of the more uh, fun things. There was no Andrew Luck. Uh, I mean, there there was no quintessential, these are the top one, two, three, four, five guys. The first hour is going to just fly off the board. You know exactly what's going to happen. A lot of stuff happened that I don't think people predicted, especially when it came around to the Packers pick at 14. Yeah. Um, you can run through all these mock drafts, Mike, but the one thing very few people take into account for, or at least accurately gauge for, is the trades. And I believe there was 49 trades in the top 100 picks. At some point, those picks were moved from one team to a different one. So uh, this was a year where I think from one pick to another – I was glued to the television because I didn't really know what was going to happen or what these teams were going to do. Yeah, and I will uh, I will end this with say with, on a much more lighthearted note um, that one of my favorite non Packers moments of this draft was seeing the parrot on the shoulder <laughs> of that uh, the gal on the the pirate ship at Raymond James Stadium and all the hype about a parrot announcing a draft pick in the fourth round for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the parrot never opened its beak and yeah, then everybody it. went crazy about it like it what like what is this like everybody was everybody was robbed of this you know what was supposed to be this wonderful you know made for television moment I just got a kick out of the whole thing 256 draft picks this year Mike nobody <laughs> will end up being a big bigger bust than that parrot especially <laughs> I mean I don't know if you remember that when they announced that that was going to happen the list of unique places and people that were going to announce these picks it was like a national sensation oh yeah it was a huge is story the, is the parrot going to get the pick right is, <laughs> is it going to work out well uh, is he going to be able to do it are they going to have to have a backup plan and they didn't even try yeah they at least tried yeah complete e- epic fail as my Brutal. kids would say all right Brutal. with that we're going to sign off on Packers Unscripted but be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com on Twitter you can still find him at Wes Hod I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account thanks for tuning in everybody we'll see you next time